0: From the station, bringing you every Broncos game.
1: Touchdown, Denver!
0: This is Broncos Country Tonight, presented by Betfred Sports. Never miss a bet with Betfred Sports on KOA. All right, happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the program, Broncos Country Tonight. Ryan Edwards, Benjamin Albright off tonight. He'll be back with me on Monday. 303-713-8585 303-713-8585 is our phone number. Five six six nine zero is our KOA Centura Health text line. Or you can leave us a message on the totally cool iHeartRadio app. That's right. Uh, if you're streaming the show on the iHeartRadio app, you can also search for Broncos Country tonight. There's a little microphone in the upper corner. Leave us a message. Want to hear from you tonight. Have all sorts of fun things to get to. But first, I want to give a shout out uh, to the wife and kids who are listening to the car right now on their way home from the store. We, I appreciate you guys uh, hanging in there. And uh, appreciate all you do for me. So thank you, guys. Okay. We have a fun program for you this evening. We are loaded with guests tonight. We are going to hear from the Indianapolis Colts. Kevin Bowen is going to join us from 1075, the fan out there in Indianapolis at 7.05 tonight. We're going to get a sense of where their off season went, how good do they really think they are out there in Indianapolis. So we'll hear from Kevin coming up here At uh, 7.05, Tim Jenkins makes his triumphant return to the show. Been a minute since we've heard from Tim. He'll be on at 7.35 tonight. Have some questions about Russell Wilson throwing across the middle. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this uh, limitation that people continue to talk about when it comes to Russell Wilson's game. Also, Lance Sanderson with Mile High Huddle. That's at 8.05 tonight. Wrote a great article. Uh, You should definitely check it out at Mile High Huddle, breaking down Nick Benito and how he fits with the Broncos. And finally, we'll check in with the Pepsi Center and our uh, own Brandon Cristal out there at 8.35 tonight. The Avs game starts at around 7.30. Of course, it all depends on when this first game between... Uh, the Lightning and uh, Florida, it wraps up. And then, uh, of course, you're going to go to the Avs and the Blues, Game 2. We'll see what that ends up sounding like. But big show for you this evening. We will, of course, keep track of the Avalanche game. Pulling for a big win, hopefully. I mean, my goodness, they had all the opportunities in the world the last time, and uh, they, they barely got there in overtime. But again, when you're, when you're out shooting your opponent by more than double, you won almost double the amount of faceoffs offs Everything about that game screamed that the Avalanche should blow out the Blues. There was nothing about it. Anybody watching it, you look at the stats afterwards, everything about it says the Avalanche should have absolutely blown out the Blues. Now, you have to understand something, though. It's not like the Blues are going to stay stagnant here. They're a good team. This isn't like Nashville. And I know that sounds like a, a, well, duh, kind of thing for almost anybody listening right now. I imagine most of you might even be saying, I mean, come on, man. We pay attention to sports. We know. I mean that in the sense of the talent, the level of play that the, the Avalanche, this is not going to be a sweep. It's not going to be a four-game sweep. And that, I guess I have a lot on my side on that prediction, but more than anything is is the Avs can be better than the Blues, but yet an understanding that the Blues are significantly better than the National Predators. And that's the team that the, the Avalanche obviously just rolled right through, but the Nashville knew that that was going to be the outcome. I don't think Nashville had any uh, ill-conceived idea that they were going to win that series, especially once their Vezina finalist trophy goalie got hurt. Anyways, we'll talk plenty about the Avalanche tonight, but I wanted to start tonight with uh, the thing that has been melting down social media, and I, I'll say it like this. So I, much like Dave Logan, I thought this was appropriate what he said earlier. He said that what Nick Saban said was was a bit beneath him. And I think that's a really good take because Nick Saban, he doesn't need to do these things, right? He's considered the greatest college football coach of all time. But you also have to understand he's a very calculated dude. And so a lot of what happened between Nick Saban, and I'll play the audio here in a second, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher... Also throw in Deion Sanders because Nick Saban also took some shots at him. A lot of where this is coming from right now is calculated. But man, if you are you listen, I'm not like a WWE guy. It's not that I don't appreciate what it is. And it's not that I, I probably would have enjoyed it at a different point in my life. I don't have time for it right now. I don't have time for the backstories and all that. But, but this is as close to that as you can possibly get on a Thursday morning. So first here is Nick Saban with a shot across the bow.
1: We were second in recruiting last year. A M and was 1st A M bought every player on their team. Made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right. We didn't buy one player. All right. But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it.
0: Okay. Bought and paid for. Now he issued an apology later. We'll, we'll get to that. Some of that's PR. Okay. I'm not saying that Nick didn't believe it when he said that. And, And I think that when we talk about the calculated nature of this back and forth, it's understanding that Nick is going to apologize for saying it. And he might even more mean, I'm apologizing that you took offense to it. But Nick Saban isn't apologizing by the intent. The intent of this thing is he is trying to position himself amidst the chaos of the NIL. Make no mistake about it, everybody. NCAA is freaking out. These programs, even the big ones like Alabama and Texas A&M, it is all about jockeying for position. And on one hand, I have some empathy, a very, very small amount. If we were looking at a pie chart, this would be in the small percentage. You know, like you see on social media once in a while, it's like I feel the same, but in yellow. <laughs> like that's I I have such a small percentage of empathy for the position that this puts these all college programs, including the ones here locally and the NCAA. But the rest of me feels like I love the chaos. And players have had this coming for a long time. And y'all need to have figured it out. Just Adapt. Don't play these games in the media. Don't turn this thing into a spectacle, even though we're talking about the spectacle. Know that it's it's what it is. It's not going anywhere. And you can cry from the heavens about getting the government to step in and help you out. But in the end, the system will, will figure itself out. It's like the market, right? It's supply and demand. It's very, very simple. The complexity of it is is more about the people like these coaches in these universities jockeying for position and feeling like they're owed something. No, no, no. Y'all have it wrong here. You aren't owed anything. You guys have been taking advantage of players for decades, for a very, very long time, and crying about, And telling these players, you should have school pride. That's why you stay here in school for as long as possible. Nah, you don't need money. You got a scholarship. You're going to get an education. It's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. We live in a capitalist society. And these players provide a service that makes their universities millions and millions of dollars. The coaches, as we all very much know, the coaches, they don't, they're not going to show any kind of loyalty. We've seen that far too often. Had it happen here locally with Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker was on these very airwaves the day before he left to Michigan State talking to Dave Logan, one of the most respected voices in all of Colorado. And he's talking to Dave Logan and saying, straight-faced, I am 100% a Colorado Buffalo and I'm staying here. Oh, he gone. So, I'm sorry. Like, Nick Saban, back to the original point here, I understand from your perspective that you felt like this is the way you had to do it. You have to jockey for position. You have to put this out in the media. You have to tell other people, hey, this is what's going on these universities, I mean, not us, but these universities out there, they're doing some nefarious stuff. Meanwhile, it's a bit of a sleight of hand trick, isn't it? It's a watch this hand over here while I'm simultaneously doing the exact same thing I'm telling everybody I'm not. And if you think for a moment that these coaches have done everything on the up and up over the course of their career, you are out of your mind. So I appreciate, and I think you have to have a little bit of respect and appreciation for what it is that Nick Saban was ultimately trying to do. He was trying to protect his. He was trying to make sure everybody was looking at everybody else while he did what he needed to do for the betterment of himself and the betterment of Alabama. So it is what it is. But it's not honest. Right? And the only reason we're covering is because it's so dang entertaining. And we come back, we're gonna hear from Jimbo Fisher because this 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 was the response that everybody knew was coming. It was appointment viewing this morning. I I set an alarm on my phone. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta do whatever I'm stopping my life to watch this thing he calls him narcissistic within the first like 30 seconds <laughs> one of the greatest things that's ever happened in college football and we're going to bring the rest of the next chapter when we come back but first let's get a quick check of traffic with the great Katie Mitchell
2: come on man and with the
0: local DBC news somewhere Steve Atwater J- is bobbing his head this is his music nice work Anthony Rod. Broncos country tonight, Ryan Edwards, Benjamin Albright off tonight. He'll be back with me on Monday. Got a big show for you this evening. As I mentioned earlier, we're checking with Indianapolis at 7.05 tonight. Kevin Bowen's going to join us. We're going to get his thoughts on the drama surrounding the Carson Wentz move, bringing in Matt Ryan, and by the way, Philip Lindsey, now an Indianapolis Colt. We'll talk to him about that coming up here just a little bit. Uh, Tim Jenkins, T. Jenkins Elite. He's going to join us at 735, talk a little quarterbacks. Uh, 805, Lance Sanderson from Mile High Huddle. Talk about his great article on Nick Benito. And then at 835, we'll check in at Ball Arena. Their good friend, Brandon Cristal, our sports reporter, who was on earlier on the k Sports Zoo. As always, if you miss any parts of the show, go to broncoscountrytonight.com and check out our blog there as well very cool. We usually put up articles, links to articles, links to tweets, all sorts of fun things up there. 56690 is our KOA central text line if you want to interact with the program. Okay, Jimbo Fisher responding today and I mean, I kind of want to play all of it, but I'm going to go ahead and just jump into the beginning of it and then we'll uh, we'll have some fun with it. Here we go. Coach, uh like to respond to
1: some comments made last night in Alabama. Uh, yes, I would. First of all, I'll say... It- it's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ more importantly, seventeen year old kids you're taking shots at seventeen year old kids and their families that they broke state laws that they're that they they're all money we bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. no rules were broken. nothing was done wrong. It was all in the and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen, and it's ridiculous. But when, when he's not on top, and the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. And it's a shame that you've got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families. And Texas A&M... Because we do things right, we're always going to do things right. But we're, not, we're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. These coaches have done a great job. Our players have done a great job. The whole organization of recruiting people—it's despicable that we got to sit at this level of ball and and say these things to defend the people of this organization, the kids, 17-year-old kids, and their families. It's amazing. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his His deal. You may find out about, about a guy that... A lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past. Or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out. What he does and how he does it.
0: <laughs> yes. And see, this is the thing. Like, I don't have... I, I, I don't have a horse in this race. I just love the drama. And... And again, it's so WWE style, right? Again, not a huge WWE guy, but I but what I've watched of it, it's this one upsmanship kind of thing. Oh, well, you're gonna call me out. Well, guess what? You've been doing this and worse for even longer. <laughs> I almost and I knew it wouldn't get to this because eventually, oh, eventually the SEC, the NCAA had to step in, right? I mean, they're gonna ruin our fun. But I I kind of wanted Nick Saban to take it to another level. Like, I got pictures. I've got audio of Jimbo Fisher. Like, this is where the climax of this thing could have come to. And then and then we just get a real boxing match or something, you know, something, right? Wrestling. Something. I would have, I would have absolutely loved it. He went on, there was a point. So the narcissist thing, like I, oh man, this is it's the greatest day of my life. This is just, so, this is perfect. I'm, I'm leading the show with this. We might spend two hours on it. We don't have time for that, but we will spend some time on this. One of the greatest moments though. And he continued to reference him like, oh, he thinks he's God. We've built him up as God, all that stuff. This one. I don't cheat. I don't lie. If you did, my old man slap me upside the head. Maybe somebody should slap him. <laughs> like I said, man, it was a heck of a performance from Jimbo. He's very mad. And and listen, I'll, I'll say it like this. Like whatever actually happens, right? I think we're all smart enough to know that not everything is above board, but let's just for, for a moment, put that aside. I am, I'm similar way. If you call into question my integrity, I get... Furious. It, it is a hot button issue for me. I am a big integrity guy. Always have been. It is. And as you put it out, you know, that's, that's how my dad raised me. So integrity is huge for me. And, and I've had my integrity called out a couple of times on social media and otherwise. And yeah, every single time I, I have a moment, right? I draft probably three or four different Twitter messages couple of different text messages to that individual. And I usually cool down. I say, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk to him about it later. Because okay, it, because it come becomes this, right? Because it's the, okay, well, now you said this in the public forum, so I got to say something in the public forum. And then we got to fire back and forth. And like I said, Nick Saban inevitably apologized. I don't think he apologized in the way of he really, I mean, because he already put it out there. Like, he's, he's apologizing because of the way it was interpreted, but it's not because he didn't get the reaction he wanted. He wanted people to look at A&M. He thinks something bad happened, or even if he doesn't think something bad happened, he wants them looking at A&M and not looking at Alabama. And you, you meanwhile, these guys who've worked together, you have Jimbo Fisher saying, Nick Saban's done plenty of nefarious things of all the people. We crown this guy as the greatest college football coach of all time, which we do, deservedly. But but this is the thing that I think neither of these guys really understand is I don't... I, 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 I want to believe in their integrity and I want to believe that they are doing everything above board, but I don't, I don't believe that. I don't actually accept that. I'm still entertained. I'm still going to watch the product at some level, how the sausage is made doesn't, doesn't impact me, you know? And, and I'm sure that, like, there's going to be some people that don't like that take, and, and that's fine. I mean, we don't have to, have, you know, I, I guess you're talking about my personal integrity and how that matters to me, but but in the end, I I care about them winning. I care about them putting on a product that is greatness, and that's what we tune in for on Saturdays, to watch these coaches put players, teams into moments of greatness. That's what we care about. And so yeah there are going to be some people that are going to say, oh somebody should think about the children and we and and, and that's a whole sub, separate subject. the using the kids as props in this is pretty gross for what it's worth. But I I don't really care how you got there. Just get it done and be good at finding ways around it, I guess. All right, more of this reaction if you guys have it. Quinn Miners coming up at 635 on the impact Russell Wilson has made on him and the office. We'll get to it next. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Broncos country tonight, Ryan Edwards, Benjamin Albright off this week. 303-713-8585-56690 is our KOA Centera Health text line. You can also hit us up in the iHeartRadio app, stream the station. And there's a microphone in the upper corner, leave us a message. And we've had some great messages over the course of the week. He went bent off. I wondered because David Smitherson, the alter ego, uh, hasn't chimed in all week. And so I wondered if we would hear from him or if it was going to be one of those like where people just ignored it because they knew David Smitherson wasn't wasn't on. (laughs) So we've had some great messages. If you want to leave us some messages there, we do appreciate that. Hit us up at broncoscountrytonight.com where you can check out our blog, our interviews, all of it right there. Many ways you can interact and access the show. 56690 is our KOA central text. Let me get to a couple of these texts here. Uh, This one. So what if the schools give players the options of free school or getting paid? What will they pick? Yeah, I got to be honest. I don't, I don't think that's ever going to be a case. I know there's some limitations on scholarships they can actually hand out, but it it doesn't seem like that's a, a real hard cap on limitations. I'd say more than anything, this where we are entering in a new era of college sports, right? I think that goes without saying, but understanding that the name image and likeness portion of college sports is now part of the draw of your university, of your program. And, and, and the smart schools will figure a way to work through this. Like I said from the, the outset of this show, like there's a lot of whining. And jockeying for position from the Nick Sabans of the world and, and even Jimbo Fisher dropping in some things in his press conference today and the NCAA freaking out and saying that this, this is, it's too much. We've, we're going to have to march up to Washington DC and get the government to jump in. And who knows the government might jump in, but the way I view this thing is inevitably we will all figure out what makes sense right now. Because it's such severe change, it's uncomfortable. But that's what change can be. Most of the time, change is uncomfortable. And for something like the NCAA, who has been what they are for as long as they are, this change was going to be devastating. It might even be the end of the NCAA. To be honest, that that might end up being what happens, and maybe that's for the best. People have been saying that for a long time. Now, I'm not wishing anybody losing jobs. I never liked that. I don't... I don't, almost ever, you listen to the show for long enough, I don't ever sit here and wish for people to get fired from anything. I I think it's kind of low brow, low brass. It's just not something that we, I I think we can find better ways to discuss this. But at the same time, the NCAA has gotten fat off of the work of people that they probably should have been taken care of for a very long time. And now we're seeing the repercussions of that. So the NCAA is going through a significant change. It's going to be difficult, but somewhere on the other side of this, it's all going to make sense. The market will set itself. It always does. There will come a point where it won't feel like the wild, wild West. It'll feel a bit more manageable. In the meantime, we're going to probably have more moments like this. Nick Saban out there jockeying for position. And then you got Jimbo Fisher firing back I haven't seen if Deion Sanders said something earlier, but I'm sure he has. I, I know he, I know he tweeted something out. I don't know if he's done a press conference or not, but I know he tweeted something out earlier. Uh, this one, all I can think of is Daffy Duck saying, "You're despicable." How many times can he say despicable? <laughs> yeah, he. It would be one of those things. I wouldn't encourage it, but if you did, sort of a a seltzer drinking game. Let's say that uh, on the amount of times he said despicable. Um, you're, you'd have some burps, I guess. I don't know. Uh, this one, I just turned on the radio. I thought you were talking about uh, a different trial. Oh yeah, no, I can't. But yes, uh, no, we're not. We're we're going WWE match between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, and and again, it'll be Deion Sanders off the top rope here at some point. Inevitably, he's going to grab a chair from down there, and he's going to jump up into, into the ring, and he's going to smack somebody over the head. That's happening. Looking forward to that. Quinn Miners uh, spoke with the media earlier today. Uh, there was Quinn Miners, Malik Reed, and Albert Okawebenow all speaking with the media. We had OTAs starting on Monday. Very excited about this. Excited to be out there watching practices with the full team, the rookies integrated. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, this is Quinn Miners and the differences from last year's offense.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, you know, some differences. Everyone, you know, kind of does their own thing. Uh, this offense is definitely uh, predicated more more running the ball, running off the ball, and being a lot faster, um, and really trying to make the defense play the entire field. That's that's the main the main goal of this entire thing, and trying to have all of our plays look similar, but they're all different, so the defense can't can't cheat things and certain things like that.
0: <laughs> I love offensive linemen, man. They, they they don't mess around. They don't sugarcoat, so the defense can't cheat things. That's a wide zone. Quinn Meyer's is going to be really good in this during the course of the press conference, he was pressed on where he's going to play on the offensive line. And he really wouldn't give much in the way of what his role is going to be. He's going to start. Let's put it this way. Garrett Bowles is the only for sure, like no doubt will be on the offensive line. I'd say Quinn Miners is right up there. He's the other guy that I just say, set it in pencil. I don't know where yet. I'm going to guess right guard, but that's my he's on the line. He's playing. He's too talented. And he showed that over the back end of the season. Quinn Miners on Russell Wilson's impact on the offense.
2: Yeah, you know, Russ is extremely um detail oriented and you can you can kind of sense sense that energy which you know kind of ups the intensity of of the people around him and I think that's part of something that that makes him special as a player. Um so I mean, when when he's talking, we're, we're listening, and we're listening to every single detail because, uh, I mean, we're we're all trying to be the best, and that's the that's the goal here.
0: Yeah, the detail-oriented stuff, absolutely. And, and I know we've we've drawn this comparison multiple times on the show. We'll probably do it again at least a dozen times before the start of the season. Uh, the detail-oriented absolutely screams Peyton Manning. I mean, I I remember wide receivers, offensive linemen. I remember everybody talking about Peyton Manning and the specificity on which he. Wanted the offense to run with there wasn't a we're guessing and playing backyard football nature to anything Peyton Manning did. Now with Russell Wilson, when there are improvisational moments, yeah, maybe there is a little bit of the backyard football. Why don't you run deep post and I'm going to just throw it as hard as I can. But with Peyton Manning, it was always, always calculated. And he would tell you very specifically I need you to run this route 11 and a half yards. If you ran it 10 and a half yards, nine and a half yards or 12 and a half yards, the ball was going to miss you. And it's going to be very obvious. It was your fault. That's the specificity I'm talking about that these elite quarterbacks bring to their respective teams. Russell Wilson communicating to Quinn miners, the offensive line, as well as the receivers, what he needs is only going to up their game. But we have seen examples in the past, I'm going to talk about this next. We've seen examples in the past where players couldn't get on the same page as this elite quarterback and they got left in the wake. I'll explain when we come back, but first, let's get a quick check of traffic with Katie Mitchell. <laughs> Probably scheduled tonight. Ryan Edwards with you here. 705. We're going to check in with Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen from 107.5. The fan out in Indianapolis going to join us. We'll get an idea as the Broncos play the Colts later this season. We're checking with the Jets tomorrow, by the way. Kind of working our way through the schedule. we get an idea from the Colts on how they viewed their offseason. The drama that happened with Carson Wentz. And what do they really think they're getting in Matt Ryan? Kevin's going to break it all down. Coming up here in about 15 minutes. 303-713-8585, 56690 is our KOA's off text line. Okay, so we're talking about how Russell Wilson communicates what he wants from his offense. It's a big deal. It's an important deal. But there's an example that comes to mind for me as I was listening to Quinn Miners discuss like, hey, Russell Wilson wants it done this very specific way, and we're all just trying to make sure we do it that way. Well, uh, the Broncos have history of players that struggled to get on the same page as Peyton Manning. And the most famous one was Cody Latimer. Cody Latimer was a second round pick for the Broncos in arguably one of the greatest wide receiver drafts in NFL history. I mean, we're talking about Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Sammy Watkins. And remember, Sammy Watkins was pretty good before he like the inevitable fall off. I think Jarvis, ah, was Jarvis Landry in that. I'm going to have to go back and look. I don't know if he, he might've been a different draft, but I'll look, I'll look at that draft. But anyways, I think Allen Robinson was in that draft. There was a lot of really talented wide receivers in that draft. And the Broncos take Cody Latimer. Now, Cody Latimer was a talented wide receiver. He was known for being a really good blocker, a good run blocker, and he was an athletic freak. And we got to see him in training camp, especially even in his rookie year, you were thinking, oh, this guy, this guy could be a dominant player in the league. And I remember I got to be one of the first people to interview him. Actually, I was, uh, I was a little, what to say, what is say green around the gills? I don't know. They say when you're, you're early in your career and I was tasked with a Saturday morning draft coverage and he rolled in to the media room and they sat him down right in front of me and I had to interview Cody Latimer And and I'll say this very quickly Early on in broadcasting, when if for all you young broadcasters out there, for me, interviews was the scariest thing. Almost everything else I could handle. I didn't, you know, I didn't mind talking into a microphone. I was a musician for a lot of years. I don't mind microphone or, or filling time or any of those kinds of things. It was the interview process that scared the crap out of me because I didn't want to say dumb things. And I didn't want somebody to look at me like, wait, what were you trying to say there, that made no sense. But through reps, through time, you get better at those things. But this was a very early on interview for me. And I would shudder to go back and listen to it, because I'm sure it was a disaster. But Cody was a very nice, very nice guy. And, and I enjoyed covering him while he was with the Broncos, but he had a hard time getting on the same page with Peyton Manning. He, he whether it was running the correct routes, whether it was understanding the verbiage, All of it. And as a result, he didn't get to play, really. He got relegated to special teams because when he did get on the field, he was buried on the depth chart. You're talking about a second rounder, a guy the Broncos inevitably saw as a starting wide receiver for the team couldn't even be on the field because Peyton Manning couldn't trust where he'd be. And so now back to present day here, I'm not predicting that any one of these wide receivers is going to have a hard time getting on the same page of Russell Wilson. In fact, quite the opposite. I I have no doubt, based on the work ethic and talent of Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Jerry Judy, and, and I'll throw KJ Hamler in there too, because he's obviously up to ability as far as his health to be out there with Russell Wilson in the offense. But you do wonder a little bit if somebody, and we'll see it as plain as day, during the course of training camp, if somebody is struggling to see the field the same way Russell Wilson sees it, one of the best deep passers in the NFL, watch Tyler Lockett, you watch DK Metcalf over the last couple of years, one of the best passers in the NFL. And I think that's where we're going to see it show up. Somebody's going to not run the correct route on the scramble drill. And this is something, I, you know, maybe I get a chance to ask Tim Jenkins about here in just a moment about the receivers and the specificity on which Russell Wilson is going to lay expectations. And and, and then to the offensive line, which is what Quinn Miners was talking about, there's some, some interesting things happening there because we're talking about an offensive line that isn't settled into their starting five yet. They don't know. It could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, but they don't know who's going to be the starting group on week one. They may have some leanings, but they're opening up for competition. Now, I have been an advocate here on this program saying that you need to find that out as soon as humanly possible. Get these guys on the field all at the same time working together in front of Russell Wilson. Don't push this thing deep into training camp and think it's going to be okay. Get these guys working together as soon as humanly possible. We'll see, as Steve Atwater would say. But... You do wonder for the offensive line when it comes to getting on the same page, I think it has more to do with the way you're blocking, especially when he's in that scramble drill. Here's Quinn Miners on Russell Wilson's ability to improvise and blocking for
2: that i mean in, in the offensive line room it's we got to block until the ball is gone i mean there isn't like all right we're blocking for three seconds <laughs> we have to block until the ball is gone and whatever that requires whatever you have to do is is what we have to do um and especially you know with you know some of the special abilities that, that russ has to you know evade the pocket and move things I mean, we, there's no other option it's got to keep you got to keep blocking until the ball is gone and and that's kind of the overall mentality there
0: so but- there's some funniness in there to me. And then you kind of laughed at it, but, but it's like, you don't really know what he's doing back there. <laughs> we, we've watched enough Russell Wilson, right? We know that it's not as simple as we just got to block until the ball is gone. The, he, he is one of those quarterbacks that is constantly looking downfield and using his legs to buy time for receivers to get open. And, and, and it's not as simple as just holding is holding your block that long. Because as he's moving, you might have your guy pinned and then Russell Wilson moves into a lane where now you have to make a decision whether you hold the guy, you tackle him, or you let him go. But you don't know because the defender is the one that sees Russell Wilson behind you. You don't know where Russell Wilson is if you're Quinn Miners. Russell Wilson might be on the other side of the field. That's going to be a challenge. That takes time and that takes reps. There's just, there's just really no other way around it. There's no way to fabricate it. There's no way for a fast forward or an easy button, right? What is that with Office Depot or something? The easy button? There is no easy button for learning how to play with a guy like Russell Wilson and his ability to buy time with his legs. So coming back to my original point about getting on the same page is if there are problems with offensive linemen, the Broncos are in a good spot right now because they have a lot of competition, but there are problems with offensive linemen understanding where they need to be blocking to help out Russell Wilson execute this offense. Well, that's where we're going to see it. We're going to see it early on. And maybe, because we don't know this for sure right now, maybe that will be a bit of the determiner on who's going to win the job. It's an unknown factor. As we sit here and project and predict the offensive line, we did that even last night with George Stoya. As we predict the offensive line, that's the one poor part of it. We don't know. We don't know if, I will say Quinn Miners, but let's say it's Lloyd Cushenberry. Let's say maybe even, I don't know. I would say Tom Cobb. We'll, we'll say Calvin Anderson struggles to figure out had a block for a guy like Russell Wilson. I think that's going to show up pretty quick. The one thing you'd wonder, though, is of course, if they do decide on an offensive line configuration, they get into season, and somehow it becomes abundantly clear they made the wrong choice. How quickly do they correct that? That is remains to be seen. When we come back, 705. We're going to check with Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen's going to join us from 107.5, the fan out there, to tell us about the Colts. It's coming up next, Broncos Country Tonight on KOA. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting
1: lucky.